Hello, this is Dr. Shiva. Welcome to our podcast, Get Educated or Be Enslaved. Episode 946, air date May 7th, 2021. Good morning, everyone. It's Dr. Shiva Ayadure. We'll wait until people join, but today I'm going to talk about what's going on in India. And I've been watching this very carefully. I have my position on this, and everyone's been asking me to comment. Um, and as you know, we take a systems approach here. And so I'm going to take a, a deep systems approach to really discuss what's going on. And we have people joining. Anyway, nice to have you. Crystal Lair, nice to have you. Uh, great to hear from you in Kentucky, UK. Great. Uh, much love to you in Japan. Uh, good morning from Minneapolis. Good. Good to have you. We'll have people join. Um, so, yeah, so we're going to be talking about India. India is a very, uh, it, India is a layered, <laughs> layered situation and it more than anything requires a uh, a systems approach so we're going to talk about india and really define what's going on in india relative to the politics relative to the economics relative to the history we're going to do a systems approach about what's going on in india we'll wait for people to join so missouri uh uk mexico deborah from uh australia Great. Someone says, yeah, what's going on in, in India? So you're going to get a, there's a lot of things going on in India, but we're going to today focus on what's going on with the jabinations there and the propaganda war. That's what's really fundamentally going on. Many of you know that um, I take a systems approach. And what I want to do is our slogan is you want to get educated or be enslaved. And the way that we're going to do that is when all of you recognize that there is a fundamental science and how you can look at the world beyond left and right, beyond black and white, that literally lets us find truth, or as truth unravels itself. But one of the powerful ways to do that is through systems thinking. Systems thinking is focused on finding the interconnections between things versus looking at the parts of a problem. So I always take that approach. And my journey to, to systems um, has been a long one. So I always like to play this quick video for everyone. So those of you who are new, um, we'll understand sort of the journey I've taken to, uh, and hopefully it'll inspire you. But let me just play this quick thing that'll give you an idea of my journey to take a systems approach. So here we go. Welcome to VA Shiva. VA Shiva is a product of my journey across East and West, science and tradition, ancient and modern, that brings you the science of systems so you can become a force for truth, freedom, health. VA Shiva is a platform of revolutionary education, community building, and weaponry for unleashing local activism. My journey to VA Shiva begins in the chaos of Bombay, where I experienced diverse religions, languages, castes, and in a small village that had no running water, no electricity, where my grandmother, a poor village farmer, practiced Siddha, an ancient system of Indian medicine over 10,000 years old. She observed one's face, the art of Samudraka Lakshanam, to understand a body's unique constitution, allowing her to deliver the right medicine for the right person at the right time. Watching my grandmother heal others, I was inspired to study medicine, but I was also aware of the corrupt caste system of India, which denigrated a human being, where my family were considered low caste untouchables, where one's birth determined one's destiny. The grit and determination of my mother and father led them to get educated and to come to America, a one in a trillion event. Their actions inspired me to work hard and excel. While in ninth grade, I attended New York University in a computer science program, and subsequently at the age of 14, was given a full-time job as a research fellow at what is now known as Rutgers Medical School in the heart of Newark, New Jersey. There I investigated the system of sleep using mathematics, computer science, and biology for sudden infant death syndrome. It was there in Newark where I invented email when I was the first to convert every feature of the physical, paper-based inner office mail system, including inbox, outbox, memo, carbon copy, blind carbon copy, attachments, into its electronic equivalent, a system which I named email, a term that I was the first to coin. On August 30th, 1982, I was awarded the first U.S. copyright for the invention of this system, recognizing me as the inventor of email. At that time, copyright was the only way to protect software inventions. I went on to MIT where I earned four degrees across multiple systems of engineering, electrical, mechanical, 
design, biological. That training led me to invent many other systems for advancing humankind. Echomail, the world's first intelligent email management system. Cytosol, a computational biology system for eliminating animal testing to discover new medicines faster, cheaper, and safer. And to the creation of a whole systems methodology for certifying clean food. These innovations led me back on a Fulbright to India, where I discovered the missing link between Eastern medicine and Western systems theory honoring my grandmother to develop your body your system a powerful tool that will help you understand how your body is a system and how the inputs of food supplements and exercise bring your body back to its natural system state and systems health an integrative educational discipline that is now integrated into the VA Shiva platform that will enable you to learn the science of systems the science of everything be it your body as a system or our society and politics as a system to reveal the foundational interrelationships between truth, freedom, health. Now is the time for you to be the light, learn the science of systems, build community and weaponize yourself to unleash the activism necessary to deliver truth, freedom, health in your local community. Welcome to VA Shiva. All right, everyone, good morning. It's Dr. Shiva Ayadure. I hope everyone's doing well. I'm gonna be giving a, uh, an analysis of what's going on in India. So I want everyone to um, uh, be ready to interconnect multiple systems. So by the way, I want all of you to get educated on a systems approach, and I'll come back to this in a little while, but you can go to vashiva.com slash join or truthfreedomhealth.com, and I encourage all of you to support yourself by learning the science of systems. And we've created a whole platform for it at vashiva.com. We have education, we have our own social media tools, independent of big tech. And then fundamentally, we also have uh, community building activism that you can do. So it's in our own platform, which I encourage all of you to support and contribute to you. So anyway, let's talk about India. First of all, uh, 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 let's talk about what's going on in India. And I, if you notice the title of this talk, I called it Pfizer, quote unquote, Mahatma Gandhi, uh, beggars and bullshit. Okay. And that's the best way I can describe it. Those are the words that come up. So there's a lot of things we're going to intersect here. First, we're going to intersect a little bit of Indian history, which I'll share with you, which most Indians don't even know where. So the Indians listening from India, listen carefully. Um, the next thing we're going to talk about is Pfizer as a major corporation, what their motives are. Then we're going to go in to talk about the environment in India that was perpetrated by this guy called Mahatma Gandhi, who was, by the way, uh, quote unquote, absolutely fine with Indians uh, having their heads kicked in and beaten, but Indians should not fight back. The nonviolence only went one way. Okay. But we're going to talk about what he actually did to the Indian psyche, in my opinion. And then we're gonna end with the mentality that exists of fear and why that is at the heart of what's going on today. So let me give you a little bit of background. Many of you know that I grew up in India and I grew up in an in India uh, which had the caste system. I grew up in an India with my uh, grandparents, my mother, my father, who grew up in pre quote unquote, independent Indian. I'm going to say India, it's double quotes, okay? Pre-colonialist uh, India. My uh, mom was an amazing woman. The fact we came from a low caste, un, quote unquote, touchable family, which means that it was we were sort of the lowest of the low. The fact that my parents even made it here was quite remarkable. But in that environment, I saw two things. I started learning politics as a young kid because I was very uh, upset with the way that I saw my parents and I being treated with this caste system. But then I also saw my grandmother who practiced the traditional systems of Indian medicine, which has thousands, thousands, tens of thousands, 20,000 years old worth of knowledge. And here is a woman who had no formal education, but on every weekend she would, uh, she was a village shaman. I mean, this was a, a village that had no electricity, no running water, you know, dirt roads, frankly, very beautiful. My grandparents worked 16 hours a day in the fields. And 
On the weekends, my grandmother was the healer, which means people come to her home. She would observe their face, diagnose them, figure out what was right for their body. And based on that diagnosis, for that individual, she would figure out what the right combinations of herbs, et cetera, were, or massage, et cetera. It was personalized medicine as we call it today, but this was back in 1960. Um, and, and, but this is an ancient system of Indian medicine. India has a huge history, a very rich history of traditional medicines for supporting all sorts of ailments. Um, when the British came to India in the 1700s, you know, when they took over India in 1757, they uh, went on a rampage wiping out all the traditional med medical systems. So let's, let's talk a little bit about history. Um, first of all, when you go back and look at the arc of Indian history, and this is, I, I wanna speak to people from India listening very carefully, is that in the eighth century in India, prior to the eighth century, there's a very draconian caste system, very, very hierarchical. But like the Protestant Reformation movement, there was a movement that built um, by, uh, uh, you know, religious in nature, but actually social in consequence by people, uh, people called the Sankaracharya movement. And that movement asked a fundamental question. If there's equality in heaven, why isn't there equality on earth? Okay, very interesting question. And that movement between the 8th century all the way to the 15th uh, century, uh, 16th century led to what was called the Bhakti movement. Bhakti is a form of yoga where it's a, it's a yoga of devotion and love to God. And it said, look, we, we want to practice devotion and we want to eliminate all these inequalities. So that movement built between the 8th century to the 15th, 16th century, that movement had profound effects. It took a lot of time, but you saw the decay of the Indian caste system. Okay. So there's a wonderful book written by a guy called Ramakrishna Mukherjee, The Rise and Fall of the East India Company and other papers that describes this in detail. But during the 8th century and the 15th century, the Indian caste system was starting to break up and it was a rise of merchants, the rise of artisans. They were being elevated in stature before they were way down at the bottom of the Indian caste system. All right, everyone following? So by the 15th century, that set of people were starting to rise who were entrepreneurs and traders and artists. And if you look back, that's when the Portuguese around the 15th century, 16th Portuguese, the French, the British all start coming to India because India was a very, very wealthy country, albeit run by monarchs, kings. And the, the model of monarchy was also starting to wane in India. Okay, so th there was a decline of kings, the rise of the merchant class, the rise of artisans. Okay, it was a time of profound, uh, like a renaissance in India, as was going on throughout the world. And so you had the rise of mercantile capitalism, early entrepreneurialism. And that's why you had the Dutch, the Portuguese, the Indian, I mean, the, the British, French, all coming to India to trade with these emerging groups um, in India, okay? So if you start looking at the French, the British, the, the Dutch and the Portuguese, they were all uh, initially, you know, traders who came to trade with the emerging Indian merchant class but they started getting greedy. So they would fight among themselves. So the French would fight again among the British, the British would fight among the Dutch. They had their wars in India and they would typically recruit Indians to fight on their behalf. These were called sepoys, okay? Sepoy meant uh, an Indian was fighting in let's say the British army. So by 1757, the British said, you know what? Why do we even have these middlemen? Why are we trading with these middlemen emerging merchants? Let's get rid of them and we will directly go to the kings who were, by the way, falling. And so you had the, the fall of the monarchs, but the British actually propped up the monarchs in 1757 in the Battle of Plassey. Um, uh, Britain actually formally went from a trading partner to becoming an occupation. They literally occupied and invaded India. It was called the Battle of Plassey. You can look it up in Bengal. So British, uh, essentially, uh, there's a book I have, you can see, uh, on my called Clive, if anyone wants to read, it's a great history of Robert Clive who came to India with nothing and ended up becoming the emperor of India. But the important thing to understand here is that Britain went from being a trading partner initially to then becoming an occupying force. And as a result of it becoming an occupying force in India, they had to now impose 
laws in India which were suitable for them. So what did the British do? And this is why I want you know, my fellow brethren in India to listen very carefully, is that the British, instead of imposing British law in India, went and got Brahmanical priests and they reimposed, this is the critical thing, pre-8th century Brahmanical law. So the British actually resurrected a draconian aspect of the caste system. Caste system was going away. The British reimposed it. You know, Victorian models of everyone should sit like this, be like this, a very draconian model. And that was a very powerful way to affect the Indian psyche because they didn't impose British law, they actually imposed Indian law, okay? Old Indian law, you know, imagine us imposing medieval law in America today. That's what they did. It's quite amazing. So they went, they basically took India back about seven, 10 centuries, and they brought in these priests who, and they imposing, so what the British did between 1757 and throughout their occupation of India is they started in re-implementing the caste system. And what they did was they elevated sellout bootlicking Indians. And they created a civil service in India, an administrative force, which was later called the Indian Administrative Service, IAS. And that service all over India was a way to use Indians to oppress the in other Indians. Let me repeat that again. The British were very clever and they did this not only in India, they did this wherever they went. In America, they did it, right? They had uh, white guys oppressing other white guys. In Africa, they found Africans suppress other black Africans. It's a very powerful technique because you elevate the, the, the brown skinned person in India and they feel like they're part of the British empire. And they use that to impose and attack essentially suppress Indians. So between 1757 by the early 1900s, that's what the British did very cleverly in, in collaboration with Indian elites like the Nehru's, okay? It's a very important point. So by the 1920s, by the way, all of you should go to vashiva.com slash join and register because I, I have a whole class I teach a systems approach and that's how you can support this movement that, that uh, we're building globally. But what happened was that in 1920s, the Indian masses were getting really upset. There were various rebellions throughout this period. The Indian masses were like, this is ridiculous. They were inspired by the American Revolution. They were inspired by the Russian Revolution. They were inspired by, hey, other people fighting up against colonialism. So they were starting to rumble in the 20s and they're starting to fight up. Well, the British, found a guy called Gandhi. And then he changed his name to Mahatma Gandhi as though he's, you know, the, the Lord. You know, that's what that really means. Like the, 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 the Messiah, okay? Quite, quite amazing branding that they did. And Mahatma Gandhi, who was a failed lawyer from South Africa, who was literally loved licking the, the, the boots of the British, could say something even worse. He was brought into India, embraced by the Indian elite, and he was used to quell down this bottoms up movement that was starting to rise up in India, which would have been incredible. In fact, there was people like Subhash Chandra Bose who was elected by the Indian people as a leader. And Gandhi went on a fast because he didn't like him because he was too quote unquote militant. Okay. But he was fighting for his people like Thomas Paine and Jefferson and, and Washington. Gandhi couldn't have that because he was an agent of the British elite and the Indian elite. So Gandhi gets promoted as this leader, you know, his white robe, his spectacle, says some, you know, with a spinning wheel, it's all theater. So Gandhi became promoted as the savior of India. And what did he actually do? What Gandhi actually did to India was not to liberate India. He was a scumbag. It's the best word I can use. And the elites are very powerful at finding the not so obvious establishment. And this too, you will learn in our warrior course. And if you don't learn this, people think Gandhi is some great guy. He wasn't a great guy. He was an agent of the British, the agent of the Indian elite to suppress a natural revolution that needed to take place in India. You can call it a progressive nationalist revolution where Indian people wanted to rise up, kick out the British, kick out the Indian elite. So Gandhi came in and he was brought in as a part of the Indian elite to talk. I mean, by the way, all these guys always talk some good stuff. You know, I have a dream or some speech they give or say words are cheap, but what did actually Gandhi do? 
Gandhi was a racist. He was a casteist. He didn't want to eliminate the caste system. And people should go study him. In South Africa, before he came to India, it's promoted as though he's helped the black Africans and the poor darkies over there. Bullshit. Gandhi did none of that. He was helping wealthy elites in the Transvaal region try to get trading rights, and he failed at that. Okay? So that's what happened. That's the history of Gandhi. Gandhi was an agent used to tell people to mellow out, promote a bullshit philosophy of quote-unquote nonviolence, and it wasn't really nonviolent. If you go read Gandhi's memoirs, when the a sepoy mutiny took place and Indian Indians were hanged, he said, well, I believe the punishment was just. He was not nonviolent. He was for violence of the elites against everyday people, but not with the not everyday people fighting back. Okay? So what happened in 1947? Every Indian thinks, oh my God, we got independence. No, you didn't get independence. In fact, it's not called the Declaration of Independence in India. It is called transfer of power. That's what the documents are called. It's called the transfer of power. Okay? What does that mean? It means you're going to transfer power from one group to another. And that's what they did. They transferred power from white men with crowns to brown men with white hats. That's So just picture that. And these brown men with white hats were all trained at Oxford and Cambridge and, you know, like to ride their horses and be equestrians. In fact, the prime minister of India, Nehru, supposedly the leader of India, and Mountbatten, who was the emperor of India, well, Nehru was banging Mountbatten's wife. Literally. That's how close they were. And it was Edwina Mountbatten was Nehru's lover. Okay. So what we have here is that it was one group and Gandhi helped transfer power. So India never had its national identity ever determined. Every great country always has its national rights to self-determination. I'm not talking about a, a communalist nationalism. I'm talking about a progressive nationalism. America has it. That's why there's this, you hold your head up high when you're an American. Indians never got that opportunity thanks to freaking bogus, quote unquote, Mahatma Gandhi, right? So he was set up by the British as the leaders of the Indian brown men and women. When he's not a leader, he's a complete misleader. What he did was he transferred power. So starting in 1947, India never had a fundamental change. We went from this entire administrative service of brown men and white hats who ran India and ran it to the ground of corruption, you know, of more caste systems. You have Nehru, who was the first prime minister of India, again, who was banging Mountbatten's wife. I have to say that because there were one who then his daughter takes over, Indira Gandhi. And then after Indira Gandhi, then you have Rajiv Gandhi, who's her son. And then you have Sonia Gandhi, who's a daughter-in-law who's running India. And then they were trying to get the cokehead Rahul Gandhi to run, okay, who's a grandson. This is no different. It's a dynasty. So Narendra Modi, the current prime minister of India, is a, truly the first prime minister who had a nationalist sense, who had an identity of India, like India has its own identity. And he won in a massive landslide. So the elites globally do not like Narendra Modi. All right. They don't like him because he still has some values and uh, tradition of India, the yoga traditions of India, et cetera, the spiritual traditions of India, some sense of national identity. All right. So that's I wanted to give you that background. OK, so now. Now that you understand that history, one of the things to emerge out of this is that my parents and certain people who grew up in that time had a fighting spirit. My parents were amazing people who stand up. But the vast majority of Indian people, even though India has this rich mythology of the great Ramayana, right? Where the great warrior Rama or Shivaji, the fighter, the warrior who fought, uh, you know, who protected the Indians from uh, invasion, right? It has these great warriors, but Gandhi removed all that sense of warriors. And by the way, in the Indian tradition, warrior and healer are the same. A lot of People in America who start studying New Age yoga, they say, oh, I'm so peaceful and all this. Well, it's all bullshit. Healer and warrior were the same. Fighting for your rights and wanting to heal one was the same word. It was called Vaidhir. So the 
what's been removed is that warrior energy out of India. By the way, our movement is truth, freedom and health warriors. And some people said, oh, warrior sounds, you know, violent. Well, it's not violent. It is about being a healer and a fighter. That's what warrior means. So the warrior energy was room that moved out of India and Indians were basically taught to become beggars, literally begging for everything because that's what Gandhi was. He was taught Indians, manipulated Indians to beg, oh, don't beat us, don't do this to us. And so the conditions of the broad mass of Indian people psychologically never had their good revolution. India never went through that process. So India has some parts, it's called uneven development. Some parts which are developed and other parts which are undeveloped, but you have a lot of this uneven development which allows for corruption, which allows for manipulation of the Indian masses. So because Indians never fought for their rights and they were basically twisted into not fighting for it thanks to Gandhi, Indians never have had the opportunity to fully stand up. So the psyche in my observation is one of fear, whimpery, not everywhere, but that's sort of the psyche. So let's bring it right now. What's going on right now? You have this massive propaganda war in India taking place that everyone's gonna die, this thing is going on, the jabinations are needed, etc. Call it jabinations, okay? So what's actually going on in India? Well, if you look at the actual data, the so-called, you know, uh, pandemic uh, or whatever, the infections went up and they were coming down, okay? They were going up and they were coming down. In fact, let me share with you the actual data. You, everyone can go to my Facebook page and actually see this, but let me go to it and I'll show it to everyone here. So it's absolutely clear. And I want to thank Phil Evans who did this data. Okay. And anyone here can go do this data analysis on their own and I encourage people to do it. It's all publicly available data. So let me share this over here. So what was actually going on in India? Let's look at right here. Okay. So if you see this here, this is a, a thing I saved earlier, okay? So if you see on the right here, right over here, I saved this, I shared this piece of data several um, days ago, let me bring it up. There, okay, so let me bring this up here. So what am I sharing here? So I hope everyone can see this. Let me go back here, okay. So if you see this data on the right, can everyone see that? Yeah. So if you see the data on the right, um, you will see that the blue line, this is go back to March of 2020, the blue line is the number of these cases, right? Which are, by the way, the PCR tests, we'll talk about that going up and it was coming down, okay? Going up and coming down. The, and this is the daily number of infections. So not infections in the daily, let's be, we'll get back to the blue line is a dairy number of reported. Oh, people can't see it. Oh, hold on. I'm sorry. There you go. Sorry about that. On um, Is that better? Okay. So the blue line is a number of new, they call it COVID cases, but it basically means there was a positive PCR test. So let's talk about this. Okay. So what is a PCR test? Again, to those of you who don't know from a credibility standpoint, I have four degrees from MIT. My PhD is in a field called systems biology and biological engineering, and I can get detail into this, but the PCR test is measuring for a piece of RNA, okay? RNA is the half of a DNA piece, which may create different proteins in the, uh, in the virus, okay? Remember the virus, when it, infects inside of it, it carries the RNA, it infects a cell, the virus, uh, the RNA then um, is used to replicate itself using your ribosomal machinery, and then the virus reassembles itself. Anyway, so the PCR test is looking for fragments. Doesn't even mean you have the RNA, it may mean you, you got it given to you, you may have it, but it essentially means you have a fragment of an RNA ribonucleic acid, which may or may not have even created the virus or maybe something that was a remnant, okay? Does not mean it's not equal to infected. It is not equal to that you are infectious. It just means that you have this protein. And by the way, the PCR test, people can go read about it, it amplifies it. So the amount of stuff you have in there is not even 
fully uh, known, okay? So let's go back to this, all right? Sorry about that. Uh, so let me go back to this. Uh, again, uh, I'm, I'm showing this from my Facebook page. So if you go here, if you go back and look at this graph, so that blue line is a number of new PCR tests which said that there was some RNA to be accurate, okay? So that's the testing results, okay? Um, after this is, by the way, people are asking, do I post my feeds? Yes, it's up on YouTube as well as Facebook. Now, the vaccine or the jabine or the vaccination was given here around this period, a little bit in uh, late, you know, January. And what do you see? Right after this gets given, you have this more testing is showing that more people, that's a blue line, are quote unquote, are testing positive. Okay. That's what this shows. So now you have to look at the y-axis here. The y-axis um, is this, the blue line is a number of people who had quote unquote um, cases, new cases out of a million. So that's 50 out of a million, very small. And this, the red line is 50 out of a thousand, okay? So 50 out of a thousand, which means half a percent, uh, 5%, right? So 1% would be uh, 1% would be um, 10, so 5% would be 50, okay? So 50 out of 1,000 people were getting, this is a cumulative number of how many jab, uh, jabs that they were getting going up here. So right now, as of this date here, India is about 100 out of 1,000, which means 10% have gotten the jabs, but you have to divide by two because you have to get two jabs, so this is really 5%. So 5% has been jabbed, okay? So when people look at this graph, some people say, oh my God, the, you know, the Jabine is, is shedding, right? That's what they say. But there's something more simple to understand this, all right? And that's what I wanna talk about. So if you look at this graph, it, you notice that only a small percentage of people have been, have been getting jabbed. So what's actually going on, all right? So that's the data, the actual data in India right now. So let's now bring in Pfizer to this equation, okay? Uh, you know, I know those guys, you know, I know professors at MIT, they bought my computational models. They, we wanted to help with lupus, okay? Uh, they wanted us to model the lupus pathways uh, in the innovation group. So, but what I do know about not only Pfizer, but all the pharma companies, let me ask people right now, we have about a ton of people on the call here, okay? How many of you think over the last 10, 20 years, are the uh, pharma companies making, are they growing their revenue or is their revenue declining? What do you guys think? Is their revenue growing or is it declining? That's the question, okay? What do you guys think? Is pharmaceuticals companies revenue growing or is it declining? Let's see what people say over the last 20 years, okay? Growing. Someone, uh, Chris says growing, increasing, declining. Okay, let me tell you what's been actually going on. Over the last 20 years, pharmaceutical revenues has been dropping. So listen again very carefully, because you gotta get educated or we will be enslaved because you're gonna be misled into the wrong conspiracy stuff and all that. Here is the ground reality. Pharmaceutical revenues have been declining. Take Pfizer. In 2012, they made 65 billion in revenue. Write it down. In 2012, they made 65 billion in revenue. In 2020, the end of last year, they only made 41 billion. So a lot of money, but they lost 25 billion in revenue. That's nearly a 40% decline in revenue, okay? Imagine if your revenue was dropping. So pharmaceutical companies have been losing money. Pfizer you know, has lost drug patents. And more importantly, as I've shared in my other videos, that the entire drug development process takes 13 years, $5 billion. In fact, the drugs that are coming out of that process, even the FDA is not allowing because of the side effects. So pharmaceutical companies, for every $1 they used to put in 20 years ago into R&D, research and development, they used to get 10 cents back. Well, today, for every $1 they put in, they get 1.8 cents back. Pharmaceutical companies are tanking, guys. They're not doing well. And you can sue a pharmaceutical company, okay? That's the reality. Pfizer is tanking. Thank you to the Kennedys, the Kennedys, all of them, 
the the Jabination Act of 1962, okay, passed by John Kennedy, and then his brother upheld it, the National Vaccine Injury Program, basically what that act did, okay, it enabled these companies, pharmaceutical manufacturers, can never be sued. Pharmaceutical manufacturers cannot be sued by injury. Okay, keep that data point in the United States. If you want to sue them, you have to go to a vaccine court where the, where the liabilities limited, okay? So pharma companies, wow, they're saying, my revenues are going down with pharmaceutical drugs, which are single molecule drugs, but this Jabines, this Jabination stuff, hey, that's pretty good. I can't get sued. It's growing at 17, 20% per year, big margins. I don't even have to do the same level of testing, okay? Pharmaceutical drugs have to go through in vitro, then you have to do animal testing, then you have to go to phase one, phase two, phase three. But thank you to the dope Trump who sold us all out. He did Operation Warp Speed so they could circumvent a lot of fundamental testing, okay? Left and right, Republican, Democrat do not care about you. That's why we need to build a bottoms up movement. That's why I keep telling everyone, if you're serious, and I have a lot of very positive comments here, but support yourself and go get educated. Go to truthfreedomhealth.com or vashiva.com slash join, okay? It's time to get educated. So bottom line is this. So pharma companies are losing revenue. Pfizer lost 25 billion. Pfizer needs to make revenue. So what did Pfizer do? They went over to Israel in January. They struck a data sharing deal with Israel. And Israel, and they said, you know what? Go vaccinate 70% of your people and if you look at Israel's curve, it goes up and then at 70% mysteriously, the new quote unquote COVID cases disappear, okay? And Pfizer's CEO, you can just type in Pfizer CEO Israel and you'll see they're working like this. Israel and Pfizer are like this. Israel is Pfizer's poster child. Why we need to get to 70, 80%, 70% vaccination rate. Now, why is this important? Well, this year, the pharma companies, Moderna, Pfizer, uh, Johnson Johnson, need to make $40 billion. That's what they've told the stock market. They've told the stock market they need to hit $40 billion in revenue. Well, how do you get $40 billion? Well, you know, when I used to run sales, I used to tell my guys, hey, whatever number I gave them as a target, I always assumed they would do 50% less. So Pfizer and Fauci have told the world we need to get 70% jabinated, okay? And they'll be happy, let's say, with 30%. So now take 7.2 billion people, take 30% of 7.2 billion, what do you get? 2.1 billion people, all right? So 2.1 billion people is their goal. That's their target. That's They'll be happy with that. Well, the each jabination retail is $40. They typically are going to get half of that, $20. So $20 is what the pharma guys will get. $20 times 2.1 billion is 40 billion. That's how you get to 40 billion. They need to hit 40 billion in revenue in 2021 for them, for their stock market to go up, for Pfizer's CEO to make his bonus. He got a $25 million compensation last year with a bad year. Think about what he's looking at with a good year. All right? So bottom line is you have, they need to hit 40 billion in revenue. India has what? 1.2 billion people. 1.2 billion people. Let's take 30% of Indians, 300 million people. Multiply that by 20 bucks. You get about six to $7 billion, okay? $8 billion, let's put eight, okay? So the market for the jab in India for all those pharma companies about eight, let's say Pfizer gets the lion's share of it, uh, you know, 40%, they're looking at $3 billion in revenue. Pfizer's goal is to hit 15 alone. All the pharma companies want to do 40. And you can go look at the research on this. I've shared this in a previous video. Pfizer needs India. They need to get into the Indian market. That's what this is about. It's about market expansion. So in December of 2020, Pfizer went to India and applied so they could do their, you know, jabination in India. Well, the Indian government, and I do respect Modi for this, said, I'm not going to let you in here unless you prove that you're 
jabs are safe. You must do trials, clinical trials. And Pfizer said, F off. We don't need to do them. We did them over here. We don't need to do it with the arrogance. And India said, no. And I, I do respect the Modi government for this. They're wimps in other areas. But in this, they did the right thing, which I was quite shocked at. So the Narendra Modi government said no. So in February, Pfizer pulled their application out of India, which means they had to get re re regulatory admission into India. Okay. Then they came back again in early April. They said, you know, we're, we'll give you drugs. We'll give you, uh, they're trying to bribe the Indian people and in, in, the Indian authorities. We'll give you this drug, that drug, protease inhibitors, pills, right? Because remember, Pfizer wants to get into India. It's like a sales guy wanting to get his foot in the door. So, and, and then as a part of that, Pfizer in early April said, we want the Indian government to indemnify us. What does indemnify mean? If someone, someone says indemnify, which means if you get hurt, you can't blame me. And that's what they did in the United States. Thank you to, you know, Ted Kennedy and the others in 1986, they indemnified the pharma companies. So Pfizer wants Indian, the Indian people to indemnify them in case the Indian people get hurt. And India said no again. So if you go look, suddenly after that two no's, suddenly you see this massive propaganda war. Oh my God, you know, people are dying everywhere, da, 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 right? That's what we have today. And Indians, given the whimpery that they suffered under Gandhi, given to be made to be not fearless, oh my God, we're all going to die. So you have all these... Indians running around and the mainstream media in India, which hates Modi, has unleashed a propaganda war. Putting that blue curve to mean everyone's infected and infectious, it's not true. It's absolutely not true. Okay? It's not true. So they, the blue line is their marketing line. Let me go back to that. That blue line that you see there, let me go back to here, on the right there, uh, is the marketing line, okay? You increase that line to put fear because you want to increase the red line, okay? So let's stop talking about conspiracy. This is follow the money. Follow the money. Pfizer wants to get into India. The Indian BJP government said no. That's what's going on, okay? This is a propaganda marketing war that's taking place. Someone said India has been enslaved for centuries and still acts like slaves. So I have a lot of people in India. They're running around like crazy. Oh, my God, this, that, da, 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 right? Like insanity. It's a propaganda war. Now, the reason I'm really upset with the BJP government in India, they are supposedly the government of promoting the, the grandeur of India, how great India was, you know, all the medicines and yoga, et cetera, Right. And this is the problem I have with a lot of Indians who talk about the past. They'll say, oh, India was such a great country. We had yoga. We had this. Well, it doesn't fucking matter now. What the fuck are you doing now? India has a huge history of health and well-being and mantras and massage and education and Ayurveda and Siddha. Right? In March of 2020, I was the only guy as a scientist who said this Fear-mongering, March of 2020 will go down in history as the biggest fear-mongering hoax intended to suppress dissent, destroy economies, and push mandated medicine. No other guru in India said that. They were just watching to see if they want to. Sadhguru, he didn't say anything. That guy's a money-making machine. Now he's saying something. Watches which way the wind blows. Deepak Chopra didn't say anything. I did. And the important thing is not to say the truth when it's convenient for you. It's important to say the truth at the right time. It's important to do the right thing at the right time for, for people. Not to wait. Now you have doctors saying, oh yeah, well, we shouldn't be wearing masks and maybe, what, what did you say in March? It's too little, too late. Okay, so don't trust these people now. I took the heat back then. We need to look at leaders. What leaders do we actually have? Do our leaders say the right thing at the right time? Sadhguru is not a leader. He's a money-making machine, okay? That's what he is. So to the people of India, where my motherland is, where my grandparents, you know, sweated and shed their blood, my, 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 fa my father's family gave 
whatever they had to build the true Indian independence movement of Subhash Chandra Bose, which wanted to have a good revolution. And Subhash Chandra Bose was mysteriously blown up in an airplane, okay? By, you know, Gandhi, okay? But the truth is that India is a tragedy right now because India has this rich history of amazing medicines about health and well-being, about boosting the immune system. And the prime minister of India and that level, instead of doing that and saying F off to all this nonsense, is caught in, they have no courage. The courage has been sapped out thanks to Gandhi, thanks to this history of 300 years of never fighting. My parents fought, my grandparents taught me how to fight. One of the reasons America is great, was great, some people may argue, was because there was a fighting culture here. And without that fighting for your basic rights and becoming a wimp and, and you know, fear mongered all them, you're going to see this just people running around like little crazy rats. And that's what's going on in India. And it's fueled by the elite media. And someone should do the investigation. Pfizer needs to get into India. Suddenly, all these, quote unquote, liberal elites are promoting, oh, my God, India's crashing. Everything's going to be horrible. As though a PCR test means you're infected and infectious. False science. We need to build a movement of truth, freedom, and health warriors. That's why I do these videos. It's not just me to give my analysis. We want to get 50,000 truth, freedom, and health warriors globally. But you need to get educated. I have a lot of people talk, will send me emails, this and that. You're not educated. Most people are at a kindergarten level in political theory. And over the last 50 years, I put together a platform for you. Go to truthfreedomhealth.com and get educated. I'll play this video. But nothing is going to change in this world until you get educated or you will just be enslaved. The analysis I did here, in summary, interconnected Indian history. It interconnected drug development. It interconnected the economics of drug development. It, we talked a little bit about the PCR test, science. But all those things are systems. And by using those interconnections, we can find the truth. It is a disgrace that people in India are running around scared when they have a rich history of amazing traditional medicines. It's ridiculous. It's sickening actually. But thank you to Mahatma Gandhi. Thank you to the greed of Pfizer. Thank you to the whimpery of the Indian politicians. That's why we're here. And, you know, in America, people died for fighting in the revolution. Maybe it would have been good if people actually had a good fight in India. A friend of mine used to say, you know, if every uh, family in India had, had lost at least somebody fighting for them, India would have much more national, you know, gumption. But it doesn't. It doesn't. And that's why what we're witnessing right now goes right back to the 8th century, goes back to the 15th century, and goes back right back to the bullshit that occurred in 1947. India did not get independence. India was hijacked. That's what actually happened. That's what actually happened. And that's what we're witnessing here. People running around like scared rats. So I want to play for everyone uh, a video. And I want all of you listening to support yourself wherever you are, any part of the world. My goal as a catalyst is to build a movement. When you go to vashiva.com, I've built a infrastructure for you. For you. Not for me, for you. It's my gift. And that infrastructure at vashiva.com slash join will provide you the education you need. I teach a class every Monday evenings directly, even though I repeat myself. Number two, you will get the opportunity to interconnect with other people and build this movement independent of big tech. We built our own social media in our own data center. And three, we give you tools for activism. So let me play that video to let you know this is not just about me hammering away at what's going on in India, but to actually give you a direction on what you can do. Here you go. Out our country to be taken over from within. And the end goal is you will have a homogenized world where we will become slaves because there is a condition among the elites that really thinks they're better than you deep down inside them, that you don't deserve the freedoms you have. They don't. This reality is what people need to wake up to. 
and we need to all unite working people. There's only one movement that can do that. And that is the movement that we started creating here in Massachusetts, the movement for truth, freedom, and health. Look, I've been a student of politics since I was a four-year-old kid, studying revolutionary movements, left-wing, right-wing. There's a physics, there's a nuclear science to destroying the establishment. To build a bridge, you need to understand Newton's equation. You need to understand the laws of gravity. You need to understand Poisson's ratio. There is a way to build a revolution. And that's why I put this together. My goal is to train a army of truth, freedom, and health leaders we don't need followers like social media, we need leaders, but they, they need training because the educational system does not teach them history, nothing. So in three hours, that's what I've started doing. That's the solution. We wow. gotta train people. First with understanding what a system is. The second is understanding the interconnection between truth, freedom, and health. Freedom is the ability to move freely, communicate freely, right? Talk freely. Without freedom, you cannot convert ideas, hypothesis into truth which is science. And without freedom, you can't really get to truth. And without truth, you make up fake problems and fake solutions, which means you destroy our health. And without health, which is the infrastructure of us and our body, you can't fight for freedom. Third concept is it has to be bottoms up, working people, people who work uniting. And what the right wing has done is whenever you say working people unite, that must be communist. Meanwhile, they've let the Democrats run unions, which suppress workers, completely corrupt. But when you look at the arc of American history, it's been when working people came up. We need to go local. Every solution I'm coming up with as a part of this movement, we're giving the science, which is the truth, and then we tell people what they can do on the ground. Like with election fraud, you don't need to wait for some lawyer. Our goal is to train people, Dave, to go local, to go local, to go local, fight locally. Forget lawyers, forget politicians, forget celebrities. You've got to learn politics, and there is a science to it. They lock us down, we should be ready to shut them down. And the fourth part of this principle is a not so obvious establishment. So when you look at a system, there's always something that disturbs you from getting to your goal. Well, the biggest disturbance is a not so obvious establishment, which are those people who claim they're for you on the left and the right. The Al Sharptons who tell black people I'm for you. The Tucker Carlson's. Do you think any true anti-establishment person will ever be on Fox or CNN? I don't think so. They both mislead working people back into the establishment. Without this solid understanding of political physics and theory, you're screwed. You're gonna follow on the, the left wing, Bernie Sanders, oh, he said something, or Robert Kennedy, scumbags. Or you're gonna follow you know, some right wing talk show host. They're not gonna lead us to liberation, it's us. And that political physics, it's a nuclear science of change. Bottoms up. We have to organize to understand that there is people who talk a good game and then look at what they actually do, left and right. I'm sorry, Sean Hannity may say some good things, but I don't see the urgency in his voice to get something done. And it can only come when you weaponize yourself with the right knowledge. You need to be able to identify a rat. You know, Christ didn't go after the Romans, right? It was the Pharisees and the Sadducees who screwed him up. His own quote unquote people. And that's where we're at. So these four concepts, I've built into a curriculum. People can go to bashiva.com and it's an educational program. We need to train people in political theory. You need to have physics. And I've created that curriculum. People need to get educated. We need to get educated fast. And within a half an hour, an hour, I can teach people. Two years of MIT control systems, I teach people those concepts. Then I apply it, anyone can understand it. And then you say, oh, I gotta build a bottoms up movement. They have to get politically astute, and then they have to go locally and act, not sit there on social media. They have to act locally, defy locally, be, do civil obedience locally, but with knowledge on how to build a movement. And the Senate campaign's expanded to the movement for truth, freedom, and health, and they can find it on V as in Victor A. Shiva, vashiva.com, so people can sign in, they can get access to a bunch of videos. If they wanna take a course and become a truth, freedom, health leader, I offer a full scholarship there, but we want people to make a commitment that they'll study, that they'll get certified, that they'll go do activities on the ground. So go to VA Shiva, Victory America Shiva, vashiva.com. Okay, everyone, so I'm giving you something, I've given you a deep analysis of what's going on in India, uh, intersecting multiple systems, but the summary of it, those of you who are joining us or, 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 uh, or, or were with us is the following. 
follow the money. Pfizer needs to get into India. The Indian government rebuffed them. The current Indian government is, is, is a government which wants to redefine Indian, Indian na nationalism in a good way, in a positive way. Some people may think it's a negative way, but they are trying to figure out a nationalism that was forgotten in India. So that government is not fully solid, but they did the right thing in rebuffing Pfizer because Pfizer said, oh, we don't need to do clinical trials in India, which means, we, and, and they wanted the Indian government to indemnify them, which means if we kill people, you can't sue us. India said no. So right after that, you see this propaganda war equating, equating, this is a critical thing, equating the number of PCR positive tests to infection and, and, and infectious people. Absolutely not true. So that blue line that I shared, that the quote unquote new cases has nothing to do with the reality, okay? Because you can tweak that blue line up and you can also connect the dots to the fact like the major liberal elite who are supporting the previous government are the ones who, you know, have a lot to benefit from this, what's going on, okay? And I'm sure we'll never find out about it, but I'm sure there's a money trail from them to them, from Pfizer to these people, okay? It's marketing 101, it's, it's a propaganda war. And the unfortunate situation is because of what Mahatma Gandhi did to India and the long history of Indians never have having had a good revolution in India, the Indian psyche, in, in, and that's why there's an opportunity here, has never forcefully risen up. So people are scurrying around like rats, at least in the United States, they're scurrying around like rats, but you still have people, let's say, standing up, okay? For certain issues with the diapers and this other stuff. India is a $1.2 billion market for Pfizer. That's what it is. It's a market and they need to get in there. That's what this is about. Follow the money. That's my number one thing that I want to share with you. And all of you, the way you support you, because nothing, the world is going to head into greater and greater darkness if you don't get educated on the science of systems. The elite starting in the 1970s, they've been using the science of systems. And that's what I teach all of you. And uh, uh, and those of you go to vashiva.com and sign up. Let me, um, let me put this here. And, it's, and all of this, it's really was created for you. So when you contribute and support, it's all for you. So let me just share the screen here and I'll share this window here. Oops, where's the window here? Excuse me. Yeah, there it is. Back here. Okay, so let me bring this here. Got a lot of windows here, excuse me. Okay, so let me share the screen with this. So if you go to vashiva.com, by the way, the, the UI is constantly changing. There is a dashboard there and uh, we want you to get educated, but there's tons of tools. You'll understand the science of systems. That's one of the tools. You'll get the book, System and Revolution. You'll also get a tool that you can use that science to understand your body as a system. And, and, and we wanna thank anyone who, who've contributed 25 or more. You get all of this for that contribution. So when you give uh, me something, I wanna give you back something. Plus, there's a whole portal we've created where you can educate your friends and your family and your neighbors. Then you can also get access to reports that'll teach you how food is medicine. You'll also get access to the entire course online so you can study it, you can also get certified. You can then get also three more books which will teach you how systems thinking can apply to your life. Then um, you also get access to another uh, article which teaches you the foundations of system science and those to all the people who generously contributed a hundred bucks, okay? And, but I want you to build community too. So one is we've created not only all this great education, but we've also created an environment where you can connect with others, independent of Facebook, independent of Google, where there's a whole forum and you can see people are talking, they're chatting, independent of big tech. There's also a social media portal for our warriors so they can organize and build community all over the world. It's like Facebook, but it's not Facebook. Um, and then you can get activated. So there's all different uh, educational flashcards that you can distribute to your friends and family to educate them on the science and the public health implications. There you go. So I encourage all of you to go do that. And by the way, this tool, your body, your system will really help you apply systems thinking to your own body, 
understand what kind of system you are, how different foods and exercises affect your body. So it's a ton of gifts that I want to give to everyone. Hopefully it incentivize you to take care of yourself, not only physically, but mentally, but also politi politically. So everyone, thank you. Uh, go become a truth, freedom and health warrior. Let's build the movement and let's all start understanding the interconnections of systems. That's the way we build a movement. We have to understand the science. We have to build community through our own social media tools and we have to get activated. That's what the VA Shiva platform offers you. It's the platform for real revolutionaries, real systems revolutionaries. So if that's what you want to do, get serious and go to vashiva.com slash join. Thank you. Be well.